Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of What's Next. Super, super excited for this one, guys. It's a, a story um, we've been following really since 2005. Uh, our guest today is Adam Greenberg. If you don't know his name or his story, what I actually do is I'll encourage you to go check out the blog that we posted for him. Um, we've got his Today Show interview, the Outside the Lines piece on him. Um, in his story, I think it gives you a little perspective before we dive in today. He's going to talk about his story, um, but I, I really like you to go check that out. It's pretty powerful stuff. Um, this is, you know, an incredible name. It's a big name for us, especially growing up in Connecticut. You follow Adam's story closely on his rise from um, baseball player through UNC. Uh, all to the point where he gets his first major league at bat, which in turn is a, a hit by pitch in the head. Um, and that's really where his story starts and his quest to try to get back into the bigs, uh, get that second at bat. Uh, so I don't want to spoil anything. I want you guys to, to follow that. But um, we're also be talking about his book. He just released um, his book about a month ago. It's called Get Up, uh, The Art of Perseverance. Kevin and I just read it. It's incredible. So we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about perseverance being like an art, uh, something that you can hone, you can craft, and you continue to grow. Um, but, you know, there's there's so much content in this. We actually broke it up into two pieces. So part one, which you're hearing right now, uh, we'll be diving into his story a bit, talk about the art of perseverance, some tips he has there. Um, and then we'll even talk about finding a mentor and some of his advice for finding a proper mentor. Um, next week, we'll dive into his life after sports, um, which is super exciting as well. So I hope you guys enjoy it. You know, once I said, again, this is this was a big one for us. I think it's the biggest name um, that we've, we've seen. Super excited to dive in. Adam was awesome. You guys, his passion is going to be contagious. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So uh, thanks so much. Tune in. And uh, we'll see you next week on What's Next. All right, everybody. Welcome back. This is episode nine of What's Next. Our guest today is Adam Greenberg. Um, if you don't know his story, you're really in for a treat. And what I actually encourage you guys to do is, is even pause this for a second. We're going to link up some of the videos, some of the backstory, um, his Outside the Lines interview, some of the Today Show interviews to give you a sense of what brought us here today. Um, but just going up, down the list, some of the accolades about Adam, uh, former professional baseball player with the Cubs, the Marlins. He was also in the Royals organization, the Reds organization, and the Orioles. If I'm off there, correct me. Um, <laughs> Uh, currently the, the CEO of Lurong Living, uh, a company committed to changing lives through education and high quality products. I thought that was really interesting how you intertwine that with your book. And yes, he, he is an author, most recently an author uh, of the book, Get Up. We'll all uh, plug it because Kevin and I both. Yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Perseverance and, and uh, newly a father too. I know you're, you're a father of uh, young Leo. So we're, mm -hmm. uh, we're very blessed to have you on today, Adam. Thank you for, thank you for joining us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And uh, this is exciting. It's exciting what you guys are trying to put together. And I'm just glad to be a part of it. Adam, it's really neat. I mean, I want to take a step back, but my uh, it's a quick story. But my mom called me frantically one morning. And by morning, I mean like 11 o'clock. And she's a school teacher and she never <laughs> calls me during the day. But I was like, what's up? Like, I got to go. I'm at work. And she's like, I just got done watching the Today Show. And there's this guy called Adam Greenberg, and I was hoping so bad that he would get a hit at the one at bat and one ball. And then she was like, you have to get him on what's next. And this was right after we launched this thing. And I was like, all right, yeah, like, mom, we just launched this thing. That's a pretty big interview to try to land right away. Like, he's going to be like, who are you guys? But anyways, I went home that weekend, and the, your book here was sitting on my bed. And she was like, I bought you the book because you have to read it, and you have to get him on. And so it's kind of neat that, you know, something – that my mom was just like pushing on me. I read the book in like two days 
And I was I was texting Neil at the time, and I'm like, we have to get Adam on. So yeah, <laughs> thank you so much for getting for coming. <clears throat> well, that's awesome, and I uh, it, it makes me feel good that that it took your mother to uh, to get you <laughs> up to to, yeah. to, 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 to to get me on. So it, it it's exciting, and it, I just I just am so blessed to have all these opportunities to connect with people at, at, at such a variety of levels outside of just being an entertainer for so many years of my life, playing playing a game and sport that I love. So it's it's cool to have what's happened uh, after uh, all that's gone on. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're trying to do here, right, is just broadcast the stories of others for those of us who may be struggling with the transition from athlete to professional. And I think the more we can broadcast a story, I mean, even, a, even one little story could help somebody and make a connection. So I think that's the goal here, and um, your support means a lot to us. Awesome. And Neil, I'll just I'll just throw this out there. It was the Cubs, Dodgers, Royals, Angels, Reds, uh, Bridgeport Bluefish, Marlins, and then Orioles. So that's I, I've said it so much, I've I, I understand I know exactly the year and when and where. So it's <laughs> just figured I'd throw that in there. So I guess, you know, for, for our listeners who don't know, and like we said, we're we're encouraging them to go check out the outside the lines, you know, stuff they they haven't heard. We've we've got the book now. I mean, tell us kind of the story, you know, I guess the brief that you're used to, like the story up to, you know, the the first at bat. And then obviously what we're doing here at Net, we're talking about the transition from being that athlete and your career endeavors and, and to where you are today. Well, the, the super condensed version is I grew up in Guilford, Connecticut, and I had a dream and a goal to play Major League Baseball. That's all I ever wanted to do. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I was five, eight and three quarters white, Jewish and from Guilford, Connecticut. So <clears throat> that was a challenging thing to look in front of. But the, uh, the one thing I always say could, couldn't be measured, what was in my heart and what was in my mind. And my determination was I was going to play Major League Baseball. <laughs> there was going to be nothing that got in my way. So after high school, I went to the University of North Carolina, had a great three years there. A um, lot of challenges that I faced, which is part of the reason why I wrote the book, to be able to allow people to dive deep into uh, into the stories and not just, oh, what a easy path that he had. And it was just so, uh, so cool. And he made it to the big leagues and all that kind of stuff. So um, but once I got drafted by a team that didn't speak to me while I was at the University of North Carolina, one of three teams, um, and I was told very specifically the Cubs would not be a team that drafted me on draft day, you can imagine my wow, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, but um, <laughs> thought that the Cubs weren't interested in my type of player. And they have so many first and second round outfielders in their system that I would never really have a shot. So getting that understanding, it was still, I chose the game of baseball and I wanted this so badly. And if somebody was going to give me that opportunity to get on the field, I was willing to uh, to take that on myself and say, when I'm on the field, it's, it's play ball. So if I performed, it doesn't matter where I was as long as I get that opportunity. So I took the opportunity with the Cubs, drafted in the ninth round of the 2002 draft, uh, forewent my senior season at UNC, and um, started out in Lansing, Michigan, uh, where I got off to a really good start and then started to struggle a little bit. And in baseball, you know, you can go from 350 to 250 or 220 and in a couple games, just a couple 0 for 4s. Um, and that's kind of what happened. And I found myself on the bench for eight straight days and went into the clubhouse and looked myself in the mirror. And that story I, I, I kind of talk about very, very in, intently in the book. Um, it was this, what, what did I do? Where am I, what am I here? 
Um, and it's, it's those types of lessons where you're like, or opportunities that we face. It's what are we going to do with the challenges that are in front of us? Um, so my mindset was, as I mentioned earlier, I picked the game of baseball. And that was all that mattered to me, regardless of if I was playing, if I was not, what could I do to better my situation? And the only thing I could control was my mindset and just my what I was going to do to prepare myself for when the opportunity came. Um, and sure enough, the next day, just like that, because I thought it and I changed my attitude, I got promoted to the higher level. And if you don't laugh, then it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good story, but the, the, the point is life is not that easy. Um, it, just because I changed my mindset, I was given an opportunity. I was being thrown to the other team, to the higher level, because our team was in the playoffs and the um, the, the team in Daytona, which was high A, uh, was the worst team in the Cubs organization. So I wasn't just, yeah, this is a great promotion. I was hitting 230 and sitting on the bench for eight straight days. Um but what it was and what it represented was an opportunity. And this is kind of what I like to talk about in life. When we get those chances or opportunities, how do we look at them? As, oh, that's terrible. Or poor me. This this stinks. And because I had my mind in the right place, it was, this is awesome. I'm going to go and I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. When I got to the game, the, to the field in Daytona, they gave me the opportunity to play. They said, run when you want, hit when you want, bunt when you want. As long as you play hard and you're on time, we don't have a problem. And I was just in heaven because that's all I ever wanted to do was play the game that I loved um, and have no reins being held on to me. Uh, and I got off to a good start the first few games. And in my fifth game, it was it was the game of a lifetime, uh, not just because of the result, but because of who was actually there. Um, all you guys know in baseball, you got farm directors, field coordinators, outfield roving instructors, scouting director. I mean, they have all of those things. And almost every one of those guys just so happened to be at my fifth game playing in Daytona. And as you guys know, because you read the book, um, but I ended up hitting for the cycle, um, home run, triple, uh, bunt base hit, and a double, all in the first four innings of the game, which set a, made a, a professional baseball record for the fastest cycle ever recorded. That's awesome. Um, so, so – the, the point of the story is not, oh, my God, it's what a great game. And all of a sudden, I became a, a, a prospect within the organization. It was because I was prepared, the opportunity presented itself and just so happened to be the same guy doing the same thing. And, and, and because my mind was in the right place, I got that opportunity. So maybe that's too much that you guys were looking for. But the point is that that propelled me into – um, a, a nice trajectory where I stayed in Daytona for three years and I led the team in hitting and almost every offensive statistic for those three years and watched every single guy who underperformed, who got a lot more money than the draft than I did, get promoted year after year after year. So um, the, the perseverance and the mentality was I, my time will come. Um, and on paper, it looks, well, it was only three and a half years when until you got that major league call up. But three and a half years feels like an eternity when you're not going and, and, and getting promoted. Um, so fast forwarding to the, that, that day, that call of a lifetime, uh, it was July 7th that we were, we were left behind. And uh, my team, the, data, the AA West Tennessee Diamond Jacks, were headed down 13-hour bus ride to uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And I was told to stay back with Matt Merton and we would another outfielder and we would either 
fly to Jacksonville or uh, the next day or potentially get promoted to AAA. Um, and after the Cubs lost uh, their doubleheader that night, we got a phone call and my life changed forever. Just a simple phone call where it was, you are going to the major leagues, you are a member of the Chicago Cubs. And now, as you guys know, as ball players, you know that <laughs> that's the ultimate dream. Getting drafted mm -hmm. is awesome. That's really, really cool. Getting to go to college is, is super cool, playing at, at any level. Um, but the call that 8 million people a year trying to play baseball is waiting for that one call because there's only 750 slots at any given time in the major leagues. Um, so you figure out the mathematics and you guys are smart guys. The odds are not in your favor. So when you get that call, it means everything. Um, so yeah, on July 7th, uh, 2005, my life changed forever. And I uh, went to the ballpark the next day, flew first class for the first time in my life. And was handed a wad of cash and I looked at it, I was like, whoa, what is what is this? It was more in that envelope than I made the month before. And they said, this is your meal money and if you don't want it, you can give it back to us. <laughs> so that's not why you play the game, but it was certainly a nice little perk of like, huh, right. these, these struggles are gone. Um, so, uh, so I didn't play the first night and then the second night, it was my time. I was gonna get the opportunity in the ninth inning, it rolled around and uh, it was the most perfect day ever there was a hurricane looming the wind was zipping and it was kind of half raining <laughs> but it was perfect um and i got that call to pinch hit and the, the bench coach yelled down and said hey greeny get a bat you're pinch hitting for the pitcher and i was like dude the bat's been locked into my hands the whole game waiting so <laughs> that's easy i just needed my helmet so i ran down grabbed my helmet passed dusty baker the manager he said go get him kid and that was it it was pure bliss like it's not just oh my god this is amazing it was i'm prepared i got a job to do the 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 awe was the night that i got that phone call and walking into the clubhouse but now as you guys know you're on the field you're competing it, it it's it's not like oh my god it's espn it's sunday night baseball we're on national television and every every bar at the time when, when espn was the thing um every bar every airport every Every location had the Sunday night baseball game on. Um, so here I was just focused on the task at hand, um, walked into the batter's box and um, was facing Valerio De Los Santos. I didn't know him from a hole in the wall, only knew he was a tall, hard-throwing left-hander with a good slider. So the next thing that happened was that first pitch came at me. Uh, he released it, and at that point I was officially a Major League Baseball player. And no one would ever take that away. Not just signed a contract. I was on the field, and that pitch leaving his hand meant for eternity. I am a major league baseball player. Um, and is uh, for the baseball people that are listening, it's three tenths of a second. That's all it has from a fastball to leave the pitcher's hand to to the time that you have to either make it a decision to swing, take where what it is. I mean, it's it's fascinating when you actually think about the science behind it. Um, in 10th number one, the ball was released and it was coming towards my head. And it's like my first thought was stay in, don't bail, because if it's a slider or a curveball and I bail out of there and it's strike one, I look like a complete idiot. So that's 10th number one. And you got when you're playing a sport, it's it's crazy how you have that much time to think and process all those thoughts. 10th um, number two was, oh, boy, ball's not spinning. It's coming at me. Um, and in that, that third tenth, it was turn my head away from uh, 
um, protective mode, just just turn away from and try to get out of the way. And and the ball caught me 92 miles an hour right up under my helmet, uh, square on my head, eyes rolled in the back of my head, helmet went flying. I grabbed my head, thought I was holding it together because I thought it split open. And I said three words or two words three times: "Stay alive, stay alive, stay alive." And that's where we that's where yeah. we start. <laughs> <laughs> and you talk about. You talk about that feeling in minors, right, where you're saying the reins, the reins were released and that's the best feeling ever. But you could argue from that second you were hit. I mean, that's like the ultimate reins. You talk about trying to retie your shoes and some of the most rudimentary tasks now. I mean, you're starting from level one, right? Basically. But the thing that the thing that matters is is the, the, the mindset. Now, as you guys read when the training staff came over and they started asking their basic questions, the how many fingers, follow their fingers. But the third question that they asked was the, the epitome of starting from scratch. It was, where was I two days ago? And my answer was, I was in the minor leagues and I'm not going back. So while <laughs> some may look at it as starting from scratch, I looked at it as I'm just that close from getting back. So when you approach life as, oh, I'm, I'm starting over, or, oh, my God, this is so far away, well, it's as far as you think it is. So regardless of what was going to happen, I, I thought I really was going to be back the next day and playing. Um, but because my mind was so clear in determination of what it took to get there, it didn't matter what it was going to take to get back. So I never looked at it as kind of starting back from square one. I think, I mean, I think that's something, that's one of the biggest messages I got from your book is the positive message that's coming out of it. And like you always, no matter what happened, right? This wasn't the only um, time when you had to suffer an injury and a setback, right? You, this has happened to you before. And I think each time in your book, you've always had a positive can-do attitude, like whatever, I'm going to go figure it out. I'm going to go get what I want. Like where, where does that attitude come from right? and how can we all try to work on having such positivity? It's an interesting question because there's sometimes that I feel like when I talk to people, you either have it or you don't. And that's the easiest thing to be able to look at somebody and say, well, sorry, <laughs> you, you just think negatively. And well, congratulations, you were the one that was born with this gift of being able to think positively. Um, <clears throat> When the, the title of my book is really important, and, and I think it ties into exactly how we all can look at things, getting up, we're going to have to do that in life no matter what. At some point, we're either going to have to get ourselves up or we're going to be there to help somebody get up. That's easy. But the art of perseverance is really what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Everyone has been given a gift. Every one of you guys is on the phone. You were talking about whether a lawyer, mobile guy, teacher – Anything, you guys all have a specific gift. Some of you guys were given certain gifts on the field, athletically. You could throw hard, you could jump high, you could run fast, but some people are super good in math or whatever it is. Those are all individual gifts. So everyone has a different one. If you don't work at whatever gift you've been given, it goes to die. We can all agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. So the one gift that every single human being that has been born was given is the exact same. And it's the gift of perseverance. We all have the ability to persevere. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. Not just individually, but as a society. But if you don't work at it, the art of perseverance, just like any gift you've been given, 
it goes to die. It goes away. So you don't get the benefits of it. So from where can people acquire this? It's truly by taking time for themselves and listening to positive, motivational, inspirational people, listening to podcasts like this that put people in the right mindset, reading books that give them that sense of I can mentality, because you have to have your mind in that in that in that in that set because it misery love loves company everyone knows the phrase it's not just this made up magical like oh misery loves company um it it's a thing so for, from where i stand it's if you keep your mind in the, in the right place and condition it to think positively guess where your thoughts are going to be guess where you're going to start thinking or believing you you can versus like i can't and so it's a, for me, it's a trained condition. It's it's something that we can we can have more control over by doing those little things. But it's I got this from a book. It's actually uh, it's a great book. It's called The Slight Edge. It's just as easy to wake up in the morning and look at Facebook. And I'm not saying it in a negative, but some people say really really good things, and some people say really really bad things. Or turn on the news and listen to all the problems of the world. It's just as easy to do that as it is to turn over to a book that is going to put your mind in some some form of positive, optimistic outlook in the morning. Um, but because it's so easy to do both, it's just as easy not to. <laughs> so it's really, that's why I said it's the art, because if you condition yourself and convince yourself, this is what I want to do. I want to have a better life. I want to be able to inspire more people or help myself so I can have have the life that I've always dreamed of. You can say it all you want, but if you don't act in ways to make those changes and, and convince your brain to start thinking that way, it's never going to happen. So where did I get it from? I, in some regard, I was born with it, born with it through the, the fact that I wanted things a certain way. And I just wasn't going to accept anything other than that. But that's, I, I feel like that is one of the gifts that I was given. So I didn't have to work so hard at convincing myself. Um, but it's been really cool to kind of go through this process and talk to so many different people and read all these books and listen to all these people. It's all the same. Right. I mean, it's truly remarkable that my book is no different than a million other books said differently <laughs> in a different tone. <laughs> to the same demographic of people that are looking for a, a, a certain message. So, Adam, I think that uh, that perspective is really awesome, the way that you talk about kind of like working on and conditioning your attitude and mentality. And I know from um, just being an educator and doing you know research in psychology and things like that, um, I kind of use this metaphor a lot that we, we often look at things like, say, playing the piano is a skill. And we invest all this money and these resources into playing the piano and the and the traits that go along with that. <clears throat> and we often have so much patience with that when we, you know, don't do well. But when we look at like other more mental skills like being attentive or resilience or perseverance, there's nearly no investment in the same way that, you know, taking piano lessons would be considered where families invest all these money, this money and resources. But the way the way you talk about um, your attitude and mentality remind, reminds me of that, like conditioning yourself in a way that's similar to a tangible skill practice. So it's really interesting. 
Well, you know what the funniest part is? I mean, you're exactly right. And the, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but did you know at certain universities you can get a degree in happiness? <laughs> I mean, I have taken classes in positive psychology before. I mean, I know a little bit about the idea, but... It's, so it, it's just the, the concept is people recognize that it really exists, but you have to actually take classes. So I'm, I'm more than agreeing with what you're saying is we as a society don't relate it to piano or private baseball lessons or something that oh, I could go to college with this. Well, if, if we did, imagine just having a different mentality and, and believing you can and not just believing it, but taking those actions to accomplish those things. Guess what? you probably have a better chance to get a college scholarship than a, uh, than an athlete because mm -hmm. your grades will be <laughs> through through the roof due to the overcoming the obstacles and challenges and the perseverance in the right mindset. So I, I, I'm with you. I think it's uh, it's getting that message across and being able to work with the young people in society to to start seeing a, a fundamental shift in our culture. Yeah, no doubt. And like and like Ant said, you know, with the piano, there's some people that get it early and you clearly did from what we learned in the book. I think they talk about that first karate tournament where your your father was prepping you to be like, all right, Adam, like, how are we going to have this conversation on the ride home once you lose to these big guys? And here you go. You're, you're coming home with a, with a gold medal or you're in first place. And, you know, from that point into UNC where you're you're in the meeting with your coach and you're confident in yourself and you have that conversation where you negotiate your 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 scholarship. I thought that was super powerful. You did it the right way. You amazing. Parents, like you just, you just were genuine. And I thought the way even your coach said was like, I mean, he, he was, he was professional. He believed in himself. And he, you know, when he said it and it sounded genuine, like who was I to say, say no. <laughs> well, he controlled the scholarship and never saw me play. So he could have very easily, but <laughs> I'm glad he, I'm glad he bought in. <laughs> he saw something for sure. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm just, I'm forever grateful for every opportunity that, that, that is presented to me and understand that it's, it's not always going to go the way that I wanted or I want or anyone wants. And, and it's funny, you, you, um, I think it was, uh, your mother who said, yeah. oh, he struck out. Um, well, the problem is had I gotten a hit, my story wouldn't be my story. Because then it's, well, when you get there, then everything is perfect. Yeah. So I think the, the, the point, the moral of the story is if you – and I heard this the other night. Um, some, somebody told me, if you want to make God laugh, tell him you know what your plan is. Like as, as soon as you think you know, you don't have a clue. And yeah. whether there's our plan, our mission, it's supposed to be this way, we just don't know. But we can only make the best of whatever's presented to us. So my point is with me striking out is it's never about what the result is when you actually get there. The result is the journey and the life, life that we choose and the path that we choose. That's the fun. That's the, that's the challenging. That's the, if you don't enjoy that, then when, you got, when I got there and I stepped into that batter's box after those seven years, and I know we'll get there, but that was the most unbelievable experience that I'll ever potentially have, let alone child and the other other things. But on the baseball field, I don't think I can ever match that with 35,000 people standing ovation, walking up to the batter's box, the ground shaking, and striking out on three pitches, which the first one was probably a ball that he called a strike, but we're not going to talk about that. And then <laughs> um, 
being so upset in the moment for two seconds where I put my head down to fake, like wipe the sweat that wasn't there away because I was upset to 35,000 people standing ovation for a three pitch strikeout. So the point is, it was a success before I even took that first pitch. As soon as I walked into the batter's box, it was a success. And when we look at life as not the result of when I get wherever I'm going, because you never get there. Because even if I got a hit, the story doesn't end. My life doesn't end. The, who, who knows what's next? But um, it, it, that's why it's it's so important to enjoy the journey of life at, at every level. So um, that's our choice. You talk about that journey and along the way, you know, it's not just you by yourself. You know, you have people around you. And I think in your book, you talk about surrounding yourself with positive people who are supporting you the whole way. And you talk about the importance of mentors, right? Like you're one of your biggest mentors outside of your family is Dusty Baker. And, you know, you like you call him up when, you know, when you're struggling. And I think maybe maybe we all as athletes need to latch on to those teammates, coaches, trainers, um, et cetera. And they can help us the whole way into our professional lives, right? It's very true. So there's there's two types of people. There's the pessimist and the optimist, and then there's the people that are going to support and be the mentor type, and then there's those that are going to try to steer you down a different path. And we're all faced with those two different types of people. I love them both. I mean, I really love them both. Here's why. The mentors are the people, when you put those types of quality people that are like-minded, that think the way that you do, and they're there to support you, you can't beat that because, once again, you're either going to have to get yourself up or you're going to need somebody to get yourself up. Um, and and the more people like that that you have around you, without asking for it, they're going to be there. Okay. On the on the flip side, the the ones that are uh, those that are more you can't or you should stop at anything. Those are the ones that I love when things are in front of me because that's my fuel. My fuel is to prove people like that wrong. I always first try to prove myself right because if you're always trying to please and appease others, <laughs> you're going to lose. You're going to fail because it's, it's just never going to happen to the way that you – it's never going to – like you're never going to get 100% of the votes in anything that you do. <laughs> um, so I, I look at it as – let those people fuel my fire and let the other ones allow me to flourish. Um, and, and, but as I said, you have to have the number one focus of proving yourself right. I love that. I mean, I love that. And even on your last page of the book, you know, Adam, in the last, at the back of the book, he has his 10 keys to perseverance. And number eight is, um, I'll read it out loud. When your gut says to keep going, find a way to move forward and ignore the naysayers. And I think that's spot on. And that's one of the, the message, the, uh, the messages I got out of this book. Yeah. And I think that's what we're doing here with what's next. I mean, I think we've had people tell us, why are you doing that? You're not making any money right now. Well, like, why would you do that? And it's just like, if we listen to every person that said, why are you doing that? We would never be where we are right now. Well, listen, I wrote a book and people told me plenty <laughs> of times, why are you writing a book? And I'll, I'll tell you, it's not to make money because you don't make any money writing a book. Right. Um, but it, it, it's the same thing. When you believe in something, you do it. And I, I was I was pushed to 
take this book to the next level because for the longest time, a lot of people were saying, write a book, write a book. And it was just, it was, there was so much. And, and, and the first path and the first direction that, that they wanted to take my book was like, that's not, that's not me. That's not, I mean, yeah, it's part of my story, but it was just totally nothing what, what I wanted. And, and that's the thing. My gut was saying something like, no, we shouldn't do this. Thankfully, happen because it's not always going to, you know, we're not always going to go with our gut, right? And, and we're going to kind of let things kind of, oh, well, I don't know. But we, re, but, and my, my point is over the years, I've learned that you, without a doubt, you have to, because the worst thing that can happen is you don't trust it. You don't allow yourself to go down that path of this is what I want. And this is what I believe. And then you can look back and say, well, I should have, I could have. And that—that's not a way to live, um, and 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 it's it's hard, um, but that's where it's the practice, the art. You you have to now find that confidence, that inner belief of, I'm going to go with this because this is this is that important to me, and whatever it is, because um, your gut usually doesn't lie. <laughs> it's telling you what you feel, and what you feel is not wrong because it's your own feelings. And Adam, you had. Um... And Dusty wasn't a naysayer when he had that dinner with you and he and you didn't go too into detail in the conversation. But he did at one point say, you know, you could hit 330 and not quoting it, but it's time to move on. And and he wasn't a naysayer there. You know, obviously that was your goal, but he kind of told you what in your gut you were already feeling. Right. So he kind of he kind of fed off you. I thought that was really incredible kind of turn of events where, you know, it, it came full circle. He was the one saying it'll come back to you. And it clearly did with the one at back campaign. Um, so I, I just thought that was a really cool interaction where it was like your gut was changing. And you just so happen to have this conversation with Dusty where he has that conversation with you right then and there. Well, a lot of it is because when you're in something together, not just an outsider's perspective, he was truly in it with me. Um, it's it, it was remarkable that we we both did get there at the same time. <clears throat> the problem was, I still was never going to be able to sleep comfortably for the rest of my life, knowing that I was making that decision. Um, <clears throat> what turned out to be the right decision, of course, but I I was. I was never completely giving it up, and that's the thing. Is at this time it was. Go change your focus. And I was feeling the same thing because I had my company. I had my wife. I had, I mean, her, her, her sister was ill. It was, I was pulled in so many directions mentally. And if you guys know, it's baseball players, athletes in general. If you're pulled mentally in another direction, it's challenging to play. Baseball and hitting especially, game over. Like, it, just good luck to you. It's not happening. So, because I was torn in so many directions, it was my time to say, I rush back after this injury. I rush back after that injury. I rush back after this one. I'm going, guys that have Tommy John or some some other surgery, they miss a year rehabbing. So I was like, you know what? Let me take a mental rehab year to get mentally and physically well um, and position myself. So yeah, it was it was super cool to be able to have that type of mentor that I could really lean on for uh for for that time in my life just quick uh, for our for our audience out there I mean you know you have your mentor and maybe your coach and you have kind of these time frame based mentors 
Um, you seem to have, you know, Dusty for life. You've got your father for life. For people out there that are looking for a mentor, and we like to kind of get tactical on the how-tos here on What's Next is, you know, one, what, what's something to look for in a mentor? How do you find it? Does it come to you? Is it just that person that you tend to gravitate towards? I mean, do you have any advice on finding that mentor? What do you look for in a mentor? Um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. That's a good question, but it, it, it starts, yes, you, somebody that you gravitate toward that you respect and look up to, somebody that, that carries themselves in a way that you, you just truly respect, that has those types of people around them. Now, that's an easy thing. Well, let's just look for those types of people. But getting more tactical, it's what are you doing and where are you in your life? Who are you putting yourself around? Because at the end of the day, if if you're around nothing but deadbeats, that, and that's, I don't want to be negative at all, but if you're around people that don't have a job, that aren't looking for a job, that just don't want to do anything, don't want to help anybody, and those are all your, that, that's all you're surrounding yourself by, well, guess what? It's probably going to be a little bit difficult. So tactically speaking, are you joining, and I'll, I'll say it. A happiness club, as crazy as it may sound, they exist. Are you engaging on and LinkedIn with people that are in your space or people that are successful and just reaching out? Um, are you joining a gym, not a not a, a globo gym where you're never going to talk to anyone, you're going to have your headphones on and you're just going to lift? Are you joining a, a gym that has self-motivated people that are there working hard, sweating together, and engaging in a way that is fun and challenging. Um, so that's a place that you're going to start finding those types of people. Um, so it's it's work. <laughs> Just like if, if you don't have those people around you, it's not like, well, I'm going to bump into a mentor and that's going to be great. It's are you putting yourself in those positions? And that's why I always I, I, I always take a meeting um, I always am open to speaking to people. I'm always willing to listen to what somebody has to say because you never know. I mean, I have enough friends. I say that like I have enough friends in my life, but I never know when my next best friend is going to be there or the next best person that's going to come along that I can impact or they can have an impact on my life. Um, so I, I just think as long as we're all open to um, trying and putting ourselves in maybe uncomfortable positions because that's finding somebody that's super uber successful, maybe a multimillionaire that it's in your position or whatever. Well, uh, reaching out to them cold on LinkedIn, just as the example, is very uncomfortable. But you know what? I've read a lot of things about people that have done those types of things, put themselves in uncomfortable positions, and you finally, those the guys on the other end are like, well, uh, fine, I'll talk to them. And then it turns out to be like the next whatever, you know, something amazing comes of it. So I, I to answer your question is for for the audience is it's possible, but you just have to put yourself out there and uh, and, and you have to be tactical in, in your approach. It, it can't just be going through life. It's like setting a to do list. Well, you're not going to accomplish anything tomorrow without any goals or any to do list. And you're going to end the day and be like, what did I do? Well, I was on Facebook and Instagram much of the day. Um, I was on the phone a bunch. I watched a bunch of TV and read a few magazines of other people's lives and their gossip. And and that's the extreme. But I'm saying it at some level. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> 
<laughs> You're going to run into a mentor? Probably not. <laughs> Adam, it's a... Uh... It's impossible to miss the uh, the tenacity that you're talking with just about the community you try and surround yourself with, getting mentors, um, working on your attitude and mentality. Were you um, like this at UNC and did it apply to yourself as a student? Um, were you just as much, I'm going to be a biologist as I'm going to be a baseball player or whatever your, your studies were at the time? So I, I always like to be genuine and honest and to an educator um, like yourself. <laughs> Um, I have to be <clears throat> through and through honest to who I am. Uh, I was at UNC to get a degree in baseball and graduate to play professional. That was my intent. I went to a top-level university um, because I wanted a top-level degree. I didn't have a passion for, I want to do this biology, or I want to be a mathematician. I knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, or I want to be a historian. <clears throat> Those weren't things that I was passionate about. I was passionate about business because I was an entrepreneur since I was young. I mean, selling candy, oh, doing personal services, anything to make a dollar, I was interested in, especially um, giving my dad four $1 bills for just one $5 bill. Like, obviously, he's going to take that deal. It's four for one. So, <clears throat> like, it was it was in my nature to to have that mentality and when I was at UNC, their business school is one of the top in the country. And I wanted a business degree. But when I started going down that path and understanding what was in front of me, to do it well, it was a full-time job. And I wasn't willing to make that commitment and take away from my, my for baseball. Because I'm not, in my opinion, the best of students. And what I mean by that, it takes me a lot longer to... Uh, to learn and retain information. I learn better uh, through somebody than sitting in front of a book and just sitting in a whole huge lecture, ha lecture hall. That's more challenging for me. So I knew my own limitations. Um, so now I actually have gone through life's process for me and have immense passion for nutrition. Had I had this at all, I would have I would have studied nutrition in college. But I, I guess where, where I'm going is I have everything that I do. And because I, and, and it hurts me to know that people are they don't find a passion or don't have a passion. I don't understand that. That's hard for me um, because you say, hey, this pen is made by this and this is how it happens. Well, I'm going to be super intrigued and I'm going to find out and I'm going to be able to make these pens and sell these pens like that that's just that's just my mentality of of, of who i am um but as i said just being honest i i didn't have anything else that was i had to learn about um during my school but as i said now and i this is it's funny because i always said my physical ability will go away at some point it's you have a small window but my mind would be there assuming I didn't get hit in the head and you know what happened, but I, it's still here. My mind is sharp. So I have been able to now take that tenacity and apply it to the things that I am genuinely passionate about, which is how I have a nutrition company, which is why nutrition is super important, which is why I read more now than I ever did. I've read more books in the last few years than um, probably in my whole life. I mean, Cliff Notes version of anything, ah, awesome. 
I mean, <laughs> it's just it, that's the way that it was. And now, I mean, the audience can't see, but I have a I have this book. <laughs> I'm reading this book, which is uh, I don't well, know. Well, that's Tim Ferriss' new book, right? Seven hundred pages. That's um, the new Tim Ferriss. And book? I would, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I would look I would look at something like that, or I would look at people's shelves of books and I'm like, yeah, there's no way they, I mean, they, they didn't read all those. They just have them up there. Um, and it's the same thing about tackling things a little bit at a time versus like, well, you read my book in two days, Kevin, but that's, it's just, it's an easier read. It's only 145 pages (laughs) or whatever it is. Um, but the point is it's, 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 it's hard to convince. And I'm sure you must experience this like convince kids that aren't interested in a specific topic or whatever to dive in and be passionate about it. We have to learn a bunch of things, but um, when, when we're not passionate, it's, it's, it's really hard to really take those next steps, but it's important part of the, the education process, the learning process. But I did the best that I could in school, but my degree was in baseball at UNC. Um, and now I have the life experiences that are affording me that, that MBA in business um and and mba and nutrition <laughs> i mean that that's actually a super relatable piece even though you uh you're like i got a degree in baseball i think there's a time in every student athlete's life whether it's junior year or senior year where they have to get out of the gray area and make a full commitment to i'm either going to try and take this to the next level get myself drafted or you know i'm going to graduate here and get into the best law school in the country and i'm going to put 100% into that and so you know, whether it's, like I said, going to law school or getting into any program or starting your business. For you, it was, I'm putting everything I have into baseball and the next step will happen when the next step happens. Yeah, simply put. Alrighty, so a good little cliffhanger for you. Um, it was it was awesome. I mean, he, like I said, you can kind of get a sense of his passion uh, right off the bat. Um, what we'll be talking about next week is more his life after uh, baseball, because yeah, he's the CEO of a of a growing company. So not only the aspect of the sports, um, but we'll dive into business, um, how he got to where he is as CEO, uh, some of the connections he has along the way, some of the advice that he has. Uh, for proper networking, getting in touch with the right people. Um, We'll get pretty tactical on part two. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a really fun one for us. Um, You know, so like, uh, you you can share it, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Um, I think we've got some good buzz going into the second week and we're really excited to to give you guys part two. Uh, So tune in next week, guys. We'll have uh, part two with our interview with Adam Greenberg. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week.